0: hope you were able to enjoy this magnificent day, what gorgeous weather to have Memorial Day. Maybe you had a picnic today or tomorrow, hope uh, you can get out and enjoy it. Tonight we are considering our study of love, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We begin with a brief review. We have considered the importance of love. That is, we may have a terrific ability to communicate, but if we're not loving, then what we have to say will not be well received. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. One can have a tremendous amount of biblical understanding, and one can have a great spiritual accomplishments, but if we are not loving, it is not worthy of imitation. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And then lastly, one can do all kinds of good deeds, but if it is not accompanied with love, God is not pleased. 1 Corinthians 13.3 If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. It does not please or satisfy God. Then the qualities of love. What love is. Love is patient and kind. And what love is not. Love does not envy or boast. That's where we've gotten so far. Tonight the theme is we continue considering ways in which love does not conduct itself. We're going to look at two words tonight. First, 1 Corinthians thirteen four. Love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. NIV, love is not proud. N-E-S-B, love is not arrogant. This word, arrogant, the Greek word, is found seven times in the New Testament in seven different verses. I often like to do word studies, not simply by looking at lexicons. Lexicons would be like a dictionary. Uh, and finding dictionary definitions of Greek words, I find one of the most helpful ways to find out what a word means is to see how it is used in various portions of God's word. It it gives you a range of meanings, if you will. It helps you understand the breadth of a particular word. And so I look at the seven verses in which the particular word is found that is translated in the ESV as arrogant and from it, I have drawn these conclusions as to what love is not when it's speaking about love is not arrogant. First, love does not have a swelled head overestimating one's own importance, value, or worth. 1 Corinthians 4 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be. Puffed up, that's the word here for arrogant, that you may not be puffed up in favor of one against another. Paul has been talking about himself and uh, Apollos. The Corinthian church was divided into a bunch of different sects, a bunch of different groups, some were saying, "I'm of Paul," some were saying, "I'm of Apollos," some were saying, "I am of Christ." They were divisive. They were comparing people against each other, and they were putting certain individuals on pedestals. And the Apollo, and Paul just got done saying that he sows Apollo's waters, but God gives the increase. So God is to receive all the honor and glory. He says, you know, I have a particular ministry, basically I plant, I, I teach, I instruct, I try to lead people to Christ. Apollos, is, his ministry is more of watering. His ministry is, is more of a uh, teaching laborious kind of ministry that's It's different. It's different. And one is not more important than the other. One is not of greater significance or value than another. One should not be exalted or praised above another. The only thing that makes the difference is God. It is God at work. Whether it be Apollos or whether it be Paul, neither one can do what they do on their own uh, it takes the enablement of God, it takes the blessing of God, it takes the grace of God. So, it's a recognition that we don't overestimate our importance or our value or our worth. Secondly, self, uh, and close to that, is love is not self-sufficient. 1 Corinthians four eighteen and 19. But some are arrogant as though I was not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. So here the idea is that, that Paul thinks himself too good to come to us. Or they think that they are too good for Paul to come to them. That Paul doesn't need them, that's the mistake, or they don't need Paul, that's the mistake. That we don't need other people. Love recognizes and values other people. I fail to love when I fail to recognize the need that I have for other people in our lives. Especially especially within a marital relationship. We should understand that we need this other person to complete us. We should understand how they are important to us. How they bring a different value to us. That's very important because so often it's true, as they say, that opposites attract. And because our spouse is so different from us, we can get to the place where we demean them or... We don't think of them as highly as we ought because we prize our abilities, we prize our gifts, and kind of look down on them because they are not like us. When in reality, we should look at them and say, you know, it's a really good thing that they're not like us. It's a really good thing they're not like me. Okay, I appreciate my wife. She is much more outgoing than I am. I have a difficult time in striking up conversations one-on-one. I appreciate my wife. Uh, I enjoy when we entertain. We have people over to the house. And if you've been over to our house, you know, basically, I sit there and listen. And she carries the conversation. That's helpful to me. That's of benefit to me. I can't tell you how many times uh, I think our children have benefited from the fact that uh, my wife and I got married. Uh, I'm much more strict than what she is. She is much more laid back than what I am. Together, I think, we hit a happy medium. Uh, It wouldn't have been real good, I think, if either one of us would have been raising our children as single parents. But together, we're a pretty good team. The idea here is that love recognizes its dependence upon the other person and is not self-sufficient. Thirdly, love is not beyond repentance. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So, love is able to be corrected. Love is able to be rebuked. Love can listen to the criticism that comes from the one that loves them. Love doesn't have to be constantly Praised and flattered and lifted up. But if you have a a real loving relationship, you know this person is only wanting to help you. You know that they're only trying to uh, make you a better person. And so uh, it will be corrected and it will repent. D, love does not seek to promote itself above others. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So this arrogance, again, is the the seeking to promote oneself above another. Closely related to it is E. Love does not seek to flaunt or embellish its spirituality. Colossians 2.18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Here, the person wants to come off more spiritual than what they really are. Love isn't concerned about hiding behind a mask, love is vulnerable, love is honest. When we think about intimacy, one thing that should be characteristic of a loving relationship, certainly a marriage, is intimacy. And so often it is, when you start talking about intimacy, people begin to think about sexual intimacy. That's important. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But there is another kind of intimacy that's even of greater Importance and that is a vulnerability in which you are willing to confide in your spouse. You're willing to reveal your sinfulness, you're willing to reveal your hurts, you're willing to reveal your sorrows, your joys. You will tell the person you love, whether that be a child to the mother, husband to wife, a loving relationship, people open up because they trust them. They find them to be a source of encouragement. They're an outlet. And so love doesn't put on a mask, but love reveals itself. All of the warts and everything else. So that is true, true intimacy. Now we move to this next statement, and it's a very difficult one. ESV says that love is not rude. Love is not rude. Why this is such a difficult word is... First of all, this word is found only one other place in the New Testament. So it's not a very common word at all. It's a very, very unusual word. Found only one other place. And so I have written this. Love shows respect for others. It does not behave disgracefully, dishonorably, or indecently. Love does not behave itself in such a way as to bring shame or reproach on oneself or on the one loved. It's a word that's hard to put into one word. I can't think of an English word that properly conveys the thought that lies behind this word that's tri- translated as rude. When I think of the word rude, I think of an unmannerly Individual, okay? Uh, I think of somebody who burps at the dinner table. That's rude, okay? I, I, I think of uh, behaviors where people, you know, are doing gross things, and they're not taking into consideration what other people think. I, you know, a, a person who has a runny nose and doesn't wipe their nose. I think of that as being rude, okay? That, that, that's, uh, that behavior. Uh, But this this word for rude has at its root a sexual connotation. The only other place it's found is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 36, where it reads as follows. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly, that's this word that's translated in our text as rude. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. So, if, you're, if your passions are getting out of control, if you are losing self-restraint, if you're getting to the place where you are not behaving properly, then you should get married. Uh, King James says in this particular uh, portion of scripture. It is better to marry than to burn. There the idea is to burn with lust. It is better to get married than to give in to sexual temptation. B, to make love is a euphemism in our culture for sexual activity, but can only rightly be used in a marital context. Outside of a marital context, Sexual activity brings shame, reproach, and embarrassment. In that sense, the scripture says, marriage is honorable, Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sex within marriage. And not only is there nothing wrong with sex within marriage, but it is appropriate. Not only is it appropriate, but it's actually one's duty or responsibility in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Not only is it appropriate, not only is it one's duty, but it actually is something to take joy and delight in. And there is absolutely no shame to be associated with a married woman who shows up at church and she's pregnant. Everybody rejoices. That's great. That's a time for celebration. But outside of marriage, it's a different story. Outside of marriage, it is not honorable, it is not praiseworthy, it's not a cause joy, It's a cause for shame or disgrace or to be dishonored. It is viewed as indecent. Since there's no one word that conveys all of that, I've chosen to look at a story in the Old Testament that I think illustrates for us what is being said in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says love is not rude. And I think this is very, very important as young people because our culture can give a very perverted view of what love is. And people think that they are demonstrating love by engaging in all kinds of uh, inappropriate sexual behaviors, and that's not love. That's Lust. That's not love, that's that's self-seeking, that is self-gratification. It's not love. So let's look at this illustration of rudeness, disgraceful behavior illustrated by Amnon. In our text, Amnon had a great desire for his sister, 2 Samuel 13. Now Absalom David's son had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Ammon, David's son, loved her. Now, this was his half-sister. And the scripture says he loved her. Let's put that in quotes. Okay, He he was infatuated with her. In fact, he was obsessed by her. He fantasized over her. He thought of her 24-7 got up thinking about her, went to bed thinking about her. And so Ammon became infatuated and obsessed over Tamar. Second Samuel 13, 2 Samuel 13.2, and Ammon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. Uh, maybe you've heard that expression, to be lovesick, don't want to eat, you're just consumed with the thoughts of someone else, We usually think of that in terms of infatuation or lust. But here he is. He's he's making himself sick because of his sister Tamar. Why? Because she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Ammon to do anything to her. This has a strong sexual connotation. Okay, He wanted to have a sexual relationship with her, and it was driving him nuts. Ammon shares his desire with an unspiritual friend. 2 Samuel 13, 3. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Okay, that's not a good thing. He was a schemer. He was a plotter. And he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab gives Amnon some sinful advice in how to entrap Tamar and take sinful advantage of her. 2 Samuel 13.5 Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So he's scheming for a way to get alone with her in his bedroom. Okay? Love does not scheme about ways to take sexual advantage of someone else. There are date rape drugs in college. There is rampant alcohol use. There are open dorms. There are people visiting in other people's rooms at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. There are just tons of situations. In which people are conniving and scheming to put themselves in a position to take sexual advantage of someone else. You need to understand that. And as a young person, you need to know that. And then, thirdly, as a young person, you need to realize that if somebody is doing that to me, they don't love me. That's not love. To put pressure on you to engage in any kind of sexual activity that is inappropriate is not demonstrating love between two people. Don't ever, don't ever, one more time, don't ever Fall for someone saying to you, If you love me, you would let me. That's not love. That's lust. That's taking advantage. If they say that to you, they don't love you. If they say that, they don't care about you. That's not what love is. Number five. Ammon follows Jonah's Jab's sinful scheme. So Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Ammon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Ammon's house and prepare food for him. So David is taken in hook, line, and sinker. He believes what he is told. And doesn't know the scheme. So Tamar innocently goes to be a help to Ammon. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house. Where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it. And made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. And Ammon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. So all the servants are dismissed. It's just... Tamar and him in the house. Verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber. Bring it into my bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar cooked the cakes, and she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Amnon reveals his sinful desire to Tamar. Verse 11. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and he said, Come lie with me, my sister. So here she is, she's reaching out with this cake to feed this supposedly sick brother of hers, and he reaches out and grabs a hold of her hand and says, come to bed with me. Tamar refuses to have any kind of sexual relationship with Amnon. Verse 12, she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. No, I don't want anything to do with this. Number nine. Tamar seeks to reason with Ammon concerning how wrong this would be. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. And he asked me, Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, next verse, where could I carry my shame? Don't do this. And now she appeals to him on two levels. First, if you really love me, you'd think about what you're doing here, and how could I hang my head in public anymore? How, how could I face anyone if I were to do this with you. Don't do this to me. And then, she goes on to say, and as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. You would ruin your reputation. You're the son of the king. You'd forfeit all the blessings in your life, and then we can look at what happens to Amnon after this, and I'm not going to go down that road. She just says, look at what this would do to me, and look at what this would do to you. But he's rude. Meaning he doesn't care about bringing disgrace. He doesn't care about what is decent and indecent. He doesn't care about shame. And so, number 10, Amnon raped Tamar. Verse 14. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. So he raped her. Now notice the result. The result was that Amnon hated Tamar. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. Now, he moves from being obsessed that he can't stop thinking about her To a place of being repulsed and wants nothing to do with her. This was his doing. This was his fault. This was his shame. But it resulted in a destruction of the relationship. Back to that if you loved me, you would. I think there are far too many naive and innocent young women that think that the way they can get a person to love them is by granting their sexual desires. But all too often, it does end in that person wanting nothing else to do with them. It doesn't bring them closer together. It drives them farther apart. For it is not true intimacy. Intimacy brings people together. Within the marriage bond, there is an intimacy in uh, a sexual relationship. But there is no intimacy in a relationship with a prostitute. There is no intimacy in a situation where somebody is raped. There is no intimacy in a situation where someone is being taken advantage of. That's just downright wrong. And so the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. Amnon showed no remorse and did not take Tamar's feelings into consideration at all. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. All right, now he has just raped her and now says, get out of here. I don't want to see your face. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And Amnon treated Tamar cruelly. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Kick her out of here and lock the door behind her. I don't want to see her again. Now you talk about rude. You talk about cruel. You talk about indecent. This is the poster child of it. This is the reality of it. This Amnon, who supposedly loved Tamar, we find in this story, that's not love. That's not love. He lusted after her. He was consumed with her. But he did not love her. Don't confuse love with lust. Don't confuse love with sexual attraction. Don't confuse love with inappropriate desires and behaviors and conduct. Real love takes into consideration the well-being of the other individual. Real love guards their reputation. Real love guards their dignity. Real love cares about their feelings. Real love doesn't want to bring them any harm. It wants to bring good. Love is not rude, does not behave improperly, does not conduct itself, and he asked, I think, King James, in an unseemly manner. There's just not a good word to say love doesn't act like all the portrayals that we see in the movies. That's not love. Don't get taken in by the world's concept of love, of a romantic relationship. Love is expressed in two people treating each other with respect and saving the sexual relationship for the bonds of marriage. That is a loving relationship. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us in our relationships. Uh, We have many, many young people in our congregation. Help them as they struggle, as they learn about loving someone else, as they are attracted to other people, as they long to get married, as they are developing and developing intimacy with one another. Help them to demonstrate restraint. Give them a a sense of maturity, a a sense of development. Lord, give them a a sense of self-control. Give them a true biblical kind of love for another individual. And may they know the joy and the delight and the satisfaction of entering into a relationship that is honorable, that is appropriate, that is right, that is blessed of you and brings praise from you and from others. So guard us and keep us, I pray, from that which is not love, but only that which is lust. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.